Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That is a spell, of course, A-M-P-I-R-E. It is always much appreciated when you tune in. Today, I'm joined by my longtime friend and colleague, Liz Clark from the Washington Post. Liz is retiring after a long career in journalism and a very, very good career in journalism. And she, of course, has been at the forefront of the biggest story on the commander's beat over the last few years, and that's the investigations into Dan Snyder. Um, She was part of the initial reporting with the Washington Post that brought all these stories to the forefront. So I wanted to have her on as she as she wraps up her career, just a little bit what she's going into her retirement, but also about this franchise, of course, the heavy, heavy um, amount of time was spent on this franchise. So we talk about her reporting. You know, was she surprised by the impact of all that and where it eventually has gone to? And we talk a little bit about the sale. There's, I will be honest, like, you know, I think it's okay to say sometimes you don't know all that's going on because I don't know that everybody has followed that rule. So Liz and I both kind of agree that there's a, there's still a lot of unknowns in this whole situation. So we get into all that and we talk about her time on the beach. She did cover uh, some, you know, a couple of different times, the end of the North Turner era, and then also the, some of the Jay Gruden era. So we talk a lot about that. And there you go. So stay tuned for that. And just real briefly, because there's still every week there, you're going to get more and more stuff coming out about possible ownership, possible Jeff Bezos, all that stuff. It's just a reminder to be careful with how you process all the information. And, you know, there, there is a tendency by some to try to draw these conclusions based on something that maybe happened a while ago. For example, when there was the talk about, well, the Snyders cleaned out their office, therefore a sale is imminent. Well, they cleaned out their offices in December. So that did not mean a sale was imminent at the end of March. It was just, I, I don't know why that was tried to be tied together. So like, just be careful about that. And we know, what we, here's what we know about Jeff Bezos. From the beginning, this has been the same statements. He would like, we, what we've always heard is he does have interest in owning a football team. We don't know if it'll be this one. Um, we do know that his presence still lurks, that other groups still know that he's out there. Because as one told me, that until if, if like Bezos has had chances to come out and say he's not interested, well, he hasn't done that. And because he hasn't done that, these groups know that at any point, they know he could try to get in deeper into this situation. We also know that, they're, that the Snyder certainly don't have a lot of love for him. We also know everybody's got a price. So what is that price? Is, you know, is there a quote unquote tax on Bezos just because of that situation? Don't know. I'm, I'll be honest. I don't know if there is. 
Um, I, you know, I do, like I said, I know that there is certainly, there was some certainly bad feelings. Um, has that changed? And again, what could change their minds in this situation? How much could change their minds? Then there was a report by Puck that said that they, that Snyder and Bezos spoke over the holidays. Okay. Which is interesting, right? It's interesting. However, what we know since that time, first of all, we don't know what they talked about. So that's, you know, and I'm not blaming a report on that. We, we just don't, we don't know, you know, what's the context of that conversation? Is it akin to a, a, a team calling up another team and saying, hey, if let's say Pittsburgh called up about Washington and said, hey, you know, we, we want to trade for John Allen. And they said, no. Well, then a report could come out saying they talked about John Allen. Well, they really didn't. One team called up and said, and the other team said no. So in other words, I don't know the context. So it's hard to really say what, what did that really mean? But what we know since then is that the Bezos side felt like, and this is as of late February, that they were being blocked from the bidding and, and being able to bid on this team. So, you know, something that happened in December, I don't know how much it really goes now, but does it speak to the fact that they're willing to do that if it ever got back to that? I don't know. That's the part I don't know. So I just, I want to be clear on that. And I think you need to understand what all is going on and then, you know, just be careful. And I'll continue to say this, just be careful with how you're processing and always question, why is this coming out? What, what makes sense here? Is it why is this name, whatever it is, being floated? Or why is this report coming out now? What is the purpose behind it? I think you always have to ask that question. Anyway, that's enough. In other words, I just said, there's really nothing, you know, I don't have anything new to report. It's just, a, it, I just want to provide a reminder on some of that stuff. And there you go. So that's it for me. So let's get to my conversation with the Washington Post, Liz Clark, who is retiring after a long and very excellent career. We talk a lot about her reporting on the Washington Commanders and where the team is at right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you know the largest ropes course in Zipline Park in the country is right here in the DMV? Located in the heart of Montgomery County, the Adventure Park at Sandy Spring combines climbing and ziplining to create an aerial obstacle course unlike any other. With challenges anywhere from 10 to 75 feet in the air, there is something for all skill levels. Looking for some family time or the perfect date night before football season starts? You can even climb and zip line under the stars. Would you rather keep your feet on the ground? Give axe throwing a try. With their projector systems, you can throw at traditional targets, play tic-tac-toe, connect four, or even hunt zombies. Listeners of this show can get $5 off any ticket by entering the code KIME23DC at checkout. That's KIME, K-E-I-M, 23DC. So there you have it, folks. Climbing, ziplining, axes, food, and bonfires right in your backyard. The weather is warming up, so it's the perfect time 
head outside and join the adventure at www.theadventurepark.com. That's www.theadventurepark.com and enter promo code KIME23DC. Well, Liz, it's always, always good to see you. And I do want to start by with a big time congratulations on the retirement. Well earned. One of the most respected reporters in this area, which means in, in the country. So just because of the work you've done over the years in many, many different ways. I mean, I don't think people realize, maybe they maybe they do, but just all that you've done. And it's not just on this, like NASCAR, you were an expert there. I mean, all this stuff. And so I am, I am curious at yes. this point, because this is yes. the last week. Yes. What what does it feel like to know that you know that you're you're retiring? Well, first of all, way too kind of an introduction. Thank you as ever. It's always wonderful to see you, whether shared press boxes, shared uh, workrooms, or uh, Zoom. Uh, and and it's been, you know, I've been a sports writer. Well, no, I've been a journalist, a newspaper journalist for 37 years and uh, a sports writer more than 30 and then the last 25 at the post at the Washington Post which was always my dream you know as a young young um young person I really worshiped the paper and that that was where I wanted to be so I you know I still pinch myself that they let me walk through the door and and work there and give me the chance to cover not only um you know the NFL team here in Washington but whatever sport comes yeah. up except you know just a few that I'm terrible at uh I mean you know I try hard at everything so I'm always up to 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 try but um you know it I mean it feels great that this is the last week I mean I started planning this in 2021 uh, you know I'm now 62 and a half um and and I'm also insulin dependent, diabetic, and have been for more than half my life. And it's a it's a it's a challenge that I've always managed, but it's harder to manage, uh, particularly amid stress and lack of sleep, and as you age. And you know, I the, the calculus of kind of what truly matters has shifted in in my life in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, I used to think they will have to kick me to the curb, you know, at the post and whatever is the most menial job, I will happily do it, you know, until I can work no longer. But, you know, the pandemic came. Um, I don't know about you, but I've lost several friends, dear friends, many in journalism. Um, before they were 65, you know, some before they were 60, way too soon, and um, lost both my parents. And, you know, you kind of realize at some point there's more of life behind you than there right. is ahead of you. Right. And, and, and I really want this last third to count and to matter and be challenging and interesting. Um, and not just, I'm not picturing, oh, now I move to the um, recliner for the next couple decades. You know, there I have passions and interests that have nothing to do with sports. And I really want to pursue them, you know, travel, theater, arts, museums. Uh, I, I love Washington. I've always wanted to retire here in Washington. 
because there's so much to do. So I'm super excited. Um, Friends tell me, you know, it's going to be emotionally very hard because you sort of lose your identity and your purpose and your structure and all that makes sense. And that's probably true, but I really welcome all that. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't mind fading to black overnight and um, no one answering my calls anymore and, <laughs> um, and just pursuing things that I haven't had a chance to. So sorry for the huge uh, epic answer. It's, it's a big and deal it, though. It's a big deal. Yes. But how lucky am I? I mean, I, I, I'm just overwhelmed with feelings of gratitude. Not only, I mean, first above all that I got to, to work my entire life in the profession I hold in highest esteem. And I know for many that's education or right. medicine or law enforcement. I mean, there's so many wonderful right. callings mine has always been journalism, you know, the the thing I held in highest esteem and wish that I could do. So not only to be able to work in the field I I wanted to, but at the paper I held in highest regard to learn from people uh, both younger and older at at every turn I I learned from my coworkers. And then to kind of, um, you know, depart on my own terms, which rarely happens in sports, and it it doesn't happen often in journalism and sadly in life. So um, I feel nothing but gratitude and a little sense of, gee, I wish I could have finished this story or brought this to a conclusion or, um, but, but that's good. You know, that there's, I leave, there's so many great talented people at the post who have new energy and new ideas and everything will get covered without me for sure. (laughs) So, And and I do want to get to the big story, obviously over the last couple of years is the Dan Snyder stuff. And I'm going to get to that in a minute because that's a big deal. And that's a hell of a way to go out for you, um, et et cetera. But how long, I trying to remember what years you covered the team because there were a couple of different stints that you had. And I've lost track. Like Mike Jones told me how long ago he had been on the beat. I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But what was your year? I know it was like late 90s, early 2000s. What what were the years that you covered? Yeah, no, no, no. It is kind of funny because it was a bit unorthodox. And maybe like you, I have zero sense of elapsed time at this age. It's like things could have happened three years ago or 15. I have no idea. But my first year on the beat was the last year of the Cook ownership, right? Uh, You know, Jack Kent Cook had died. Um, John was running it, but it was clear it was for sale. So that whole year was the sale year. So that would have been 1990. (laughs) You'd think I would know. It was sold in 99. Right, sold in 99. So this was the 98 season. Okay. Um, It was... uh, so Norv Turner was the coach right. and you were obviously um, in the press room and I'm so delighted to meet you. <laughs> um, so I covered it, the team for four years, the last year of the cook ownership, the first three years of Dan Snyder's ownership. And in that time, I think there were five coaches, you know, so it was Norv. Uh, Rabisky. Rabisky, Marty Schottenheimer. I'm exaggerating because I left the day Spurrier came in the door. I remember meeting him. You know, oh, okay. you know, I was I was uh, leaving the beat and then I was I was off the beat for 13 years covering other things, um, but but would drop back in when there would be some 
interesting big news event like the return of Coach Gibbs. Right. You know, we obviously had a lot of people come back and and write uh, about his return and what it meant. Um, so I always, you know, paid attention, I guess, right. in case I were needed. But then I came back as a beat writer in 2014, which was Jay Gruden's, right. I believe, second year. First year. Um, no. Was it? Yeah, his first year was 2014, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was, of course, because the Shanahan thing had all right. fallen apart in 2013. And I was not on the beat, but I was intrigued. Um, and and our, Robert Griffin, I right. think, was in his second year. Um, so, yes. So 2014, and then I, I was there for four more years. To 2017. Okay. Okay. So there you go. So let's Sorry, go back. Let's go back. Way. No, it's, you know, but when, because you were there, I mean, what do you remember from those early years of Dan Snyder? And did yeah. you see, did you see things that you say, this is going to be a problem for the franchise under him? No, I mean, I mean, you know, I, you know, I think we all remember the sales process was fairly fraught, you know, because right. it was the choice was Howard Milstein. Right. And then that didn't fly with the NFL. So, you know, there was a little bit of chaos and confusion about who was going to own the team and then who were the owners. And it was a, a kind of curious uh, group of three. Um, and, you know, we all know the way Dan Snyder presented himself to the market at age 34 um, as just a super enthusiastic lifelong fan. And, you know, who wouldn't love that narrative and and kind of root for uh, a hometown guy, self-made guy to to take ownership. So, you know, complete open mind. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I had no unique insight that you didn't have and you probably had them before I did. But I think it was really his, well, excuse me. The first really troubling thing to me was his statement, you know, was going to make no changes. And then within months, right. Charlie Casterly has gone, boom. A bunch and of then, staffers. Yeah, about 30 staffers. I mean, loyal, true staffers. To what purpose I did not see. You know, I I, I don't think any of us saw, saw the point of that. Um, and so that was, that was sad, you know, very disruptive. Um, but, but then I think maybe there was a deeper level of concern his second year, which was the real aggressive, let me bring in every free agent I've ever heard of with right. a big resume, big ticket. Um, and the optimistic side of you might say, wow, this is a guy who wants it. Now he wants it all. He wants to win. Amazing. But if you know anything about team sports, you know, you immediately think, what is this going to do to the chemistry? I mean, can one locker room truly absorb Deion Sanders, Bruce Smith? Was that Mark Carrier? Yeah. You're going to have to help me. Jeff, Jeff George Jeff, came in. You know, I mean, and you could see individually the appeal of each, like, oh, yeah. But then you have to think, well, what do you do with Champ Bailey? He's like the star of the future. And then you've got Daryl Green. You know, you sort of go position by position and say, this might be more problematic than it right. seems. Like, for example, Brad Johnson, you know, not the sexiest guy in the world in terms of he's going to sell tickets, you know, not a politician, 
but like what a beast of a guy. I mean, yeah. I mean in, in terms of commanding the respect of the offensive line, getting the job done, not about ego, just a leader. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I can see marketing wise why you might think the guy with the, the flashy arm was a better choice, but it wasn't a better choice. So anyway, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm recapitulating probably painful memories for, for older people and younger people are saying what, uh, but um, you know, that, so it was basically enthusiasm that was not constructive. And then I think every August, the media and the market thought, well, he's matured. He's learned. This right. is the year. It's going to, it, you know, hands off, bring in the right football people, you know, leave it alone and let's wait for a winner. And it just, the cycle kept repeating in my view. It did. And, you know, it's funny because also during that time, it was listening to outside people about players that should bring in like a Jeff George and having the football people inside saying, can't do it. And then eventually he would say, you have to do it. And I think that was also set a tone. But the other thing I remember, Liz, too, and again, I want to get to these the big story in, in a minute, but the other thing I remember, and this is where I like, oh, my God, her instincts are really good. Because remember the year they fired Marty, it was um, Spurrier resigned. And Marty hadn't been fired yet, and they finished really strong. I remember what you, was, you and I in the press oh, room, yeah. you, you looked up at the TV and you saw him resigning. You're like, he's coming here. Right away, you said, I'm like, oh, no, because Marty, they, they finished strong. Right. Marty that. was like 5-0 and oh to finish. Yeah. Or right, like right, right. Completely and so, turned it around. Right. And so, but you right away, like, he's going to go I? get him. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And it's like, boom, they did. It's like, always trust his instincts because well, that was it was dead on and they went and yeah. got him. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and uh, boy, I remember, I wish I could remember the player. There was one offensive lineman really admirable guy with young kids and, and I believe had played for Marty before and had come all this way to play for him again. And you may have been with me. It We had to tell him that Marty was going to be fired. I mean, it, not that it was our job, but it was, right, he right. had not heard. And it was so preposterous that, that an owner would make that move after the team had gone through so much that year. I, did they not start 0-5? They were 0-5, um, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of dissension because he was yeah. law and order. Yeah. It's going to be this way. and uh, but, but got a cohort of believers, and, and they were on their way. And, and this guy was like in the process of the moving trucks were coming to bring his family. And we were like, just check those moving yeah. trucks. Yeah. I don't think we said he's going to be fired, but just like, Maybe you should hold off on the move because, you know, we're hearing uh, there might be a change. And I could just see in his face, the reporters don't know what they're talking about, but please don't let this be true. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a bizarre time, but again, it also to me kind of um, foreshadows the everything that's happened since to, in, in other words, the lack of success for the organization, but the other stuff like in the reporting, when you started working on this story, did you, you would, because like I said, you cut, co you covered this franchise, two different stints. You're very familiar with it. How surprised were you at the depths of what you discovered or reported? You mean in terms of, in terms of all the stuff, the that's pervasive sexual harassment, all of that stuff. Yeah. Female yeah. employees. Yeah. 
and just the, the the workplace culture, the you know, and then where it, all that stuff led to financial issues and et cetera. Boy, that's really hard. Were you to surprised say. by um, any of that, or, or maybe I that's mean, maybe that's a hard way to answer it? Like it's you know, I mean, on some level, yeah, I no, I I was I was really heartbroken to be yeah. honest. I was just heartbroken because the the people most affected were young women in their 20s and 30s for whom this was not only a first job out of college it was their dream job you know and in many ways they were more credentialed than their male cohorts you know a lot had you know advanced degrees in sports management and they were very ambitious and just thought oh my god you know or they had been right. interns and got their foothold in an NFL team i mean who wouldn't be just so thrilled. Your family's thrilled. Like you're, you could be the first female GM or something. And um, to just be so debased and degraded, I, I, I just could not believe it when I saw the text and the messages like, Hey, we've got a bet going here. You know, are your boobs fake or real? Mm. And like that stuff like that, just crude crap bar talk that, I was several decades older, but in no point in my life, in, in no newspaper, at no no workplace had I ever been subject to treatment like that. And yeah, I know what a football team or what a male-dominated workplace is. That's actually where I've worked the last 30 years, right. male-dominated workplaces. But nobody speaks to me like that. And if they do, it's their last time, you know? Yeah. And, but see- Anybody who would treat me that way, they're not my boss. They're people I cover, you, you know? So it's it's a it's a power dynamic that these young women were at the bottom of the pecking order. And it's like, you complain about your boss and like, there's the door. I mean, they, right. they had no HR department. They had no recourse. It was like, you know, horrendous behavior from you think of the 1950s that it just, I couldn't believe it, even though I had worked in that building at least four of the years with almost free reign in that building. And then the second iteration, we weren't in the building. Right. But, you know, the locker room was our workplace. No players disrespected me or other women that I knew of. And to be clear, really none of these allegations were against players. It was right. it was against, you know, the, the, the staff. No, it, it was... It was heartrending, but, you know, as far as who's responsible, who signed off, who looked the other way, who thought it was a joke, who laughed along, I think any of us who covered the team, who covers any team, there's a whole layer of stuff you know that you, you don't report. And right. I'm not saying you sit on to protect people. I'm saying it's... It, Maybe it's something purient, lewd, or that that's somebody's personal business. You know, it's like right. that's their personal life. Or you can't get it confirmed to a publishable right. standard. I mean, those are the two categories. Right. I'm not, to be clear, I'm not talking about, yeah, we knew it, but we just right. wanted the free meals and to sit in the press box. So we like went along. That was not it at all. Right. Um, it takes I mean, someone speaking up. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, there was one scout who, you know, said incredibly inappropriate things to me. And but but I, I handled it myself. 
it, you know, it was, but I'm older. I have a thick hide. He's not my boss. He's not my superior. And, um, and I handled it the way I always handle, you know, anybody who comes at me right. and, and that's my personal business. But, uh, well, were you surprised at the impact that, cause like going from the first story, this first series of articles that you guys had in, in July of 2020 to where we are now, are you surprised at the impact of those stories? Did you, or you know, when you're reporting them, are you even thinking that, or you just say, Hey, this is a story. We're going to report this. We're going to report this out and where it goes, it goes. But are you surprised at all the impact that those initial stories have had? Not in, so no, I'm, I'm not thinking about the impact at the time we're reporting and I'm meeting with these women. Um, not all were men, women. Some right. were men who were really tortured and, and their lives were, their work lives were made in misery. And, I felt the importance of the work was to give them a voice, was to shine a spotlight on workplace behavior that was inappropriate. Um, they, and to make sure that they knew this is not a normal workplace. You know, you, you aren't, you don't have to, you shouldn't go to work expecting to be treated this way. You know, so, I mean, to the extent I saw a, a greater purpose, it was, their stories deserve to be told, right? And I think we both know the NFL will do what it's going to do. And it doesn't necessarily do things because they're morally right. You know, it's a multi-billion dollar business that, you know, it's, it, it responds, you know, that's, that's how that works. I, um, the impact to me was super important for the victims for mm -hmm. having their stories told. That's important. But Congress got involved and that that moved the narrative that that uncovered a lot that we didn't have, a lot we did have. Um, but because of the way the NFL handled it, you know, I mean, yeah, we wrote a set of stories. The NFL launched a, an investigation by Beth Wilkinson and it chose not to make that public. So it was the fact that the NFL sat on those findings that triggered Congress's involvement. Right. Like the NFL was the lever that that made that happen, right. um, combined with the release of the uh, incredibly offensive emails that cost John Gruden his career, uh, reflected horribly on Bruce Allen. Um, you know, whoever thought that was a good strategy, and I, I think, you know, I'm quite sure I know, um, and I'm, I think smart people have theories. It's never been proven. Whoever thought that was a good strategy did not work that way, you know, because that also piqued Congress's interest. Um, so there's that. And then that led to the, the round table at which a new allegation was made against Stan Snyder personally. And, and, um, and there's a second investigation, you know, I am not sure to the extent Dan Snyder is selling this team. And there are days I wonder about that. There's a serious debt issue here with this team. And Jerry Jones was the first to make that public. Mm -hmm. This is not me making that public. You know, as your readers or listeners know, all NFL teams have a debt ceiling. You can borrow up to X amount. It's right. about... Um, it's a lot. It's about it's about five hundred million or six hundred. Yeah. Five, I think it's you know, yeah, yeah, five hundred. Yeah. Um, and 
two years ago, the NFL gave Dan Snyder special permission to exceed that by $450 million. So that puts him at about a billion dollars, assuming he's already at the debt ceiling. Right. Um, to be clear, he didn't borrow that from the NFL. He borrowed it from a bank. Right. But and and people thought, wow, the NFL just made him very strong. He's stronger than ever. He owns the whole team now. Yes, but he has to pay off that money. So uh, the the debt is is going to come due, and he has to get back into NFL compliance. He has to get back under that waiver. And this coincides with the time that local revenue is cratering. You know, they've gone from first to 32nd in attendance. They've reduced the size of the stadium three times. Um, the suites are hardly leased in full. Um, we can see sponsors that have gone away I don't know of many NFL teams that don't have a beer sponsor. I mean, that's kind of shocking in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't say here's the number of his local revenue, but it is cratered. I mean, by the metrics we can see. So this is not a good time to be uh, digging your way out of debt. So um, selling 20% of the team would enable him to get out of the debt. And, you know, our understanding is he tried to find someone willing to do that and he couldn't. Right. So, you know, is his only option to sell all the team. And this dance has been going on for five months now. Yeah. It's still um, it's still not clear and it's not clear to the NFL and it's not clear to buyers, bidders. Um, so it's it's the most inscrutable NFL sales process, yeah. hands down. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had talked to someone who said that they haven't been to a process like this one. Correct. Uh, and a lot of it is that, you know, because it's Dan is fully in control of it and yeah. they, only know, they only know what they're told by him or his people. So, but are you surprised though? Cause you know, throughout all this, you kept hearing, not going to vote him out, not going to do this, not going to do that. And then there was that big shift in November. Were you surprised it got to that point or did you kind of wonder or think that it would get to this point that he's going to have. And, and a lot of it goes back, like you said, goes back to the debt. Like you can't escape that. Um, but are you surprised that it got to that point where he had, where it, the team actually is up for sale? Totally surprised that um, it, you know, that, that day in November, I think November 1st, when that first report came out, it's like a whole, yeah, I was shocked. Um, but macro, it 
if you pay attention, it's clear that politically, no entity is going to do a land deal with no. Dan Snyder right. for a new stadium at this moment. If you know anything about the economics of an NFL team, it matters not how bad your team is. If you build a new stadium, it's like, you know, you print money. It, you know, you have to have a good product to sustain that. But, you know, a new stadium is an economic engine for the value of the franchise, um, for the enthusiasm of the fan base. I mean, the one thing that to me, and I've been thinking this for the last five years, that could possibly re-energize fans, re, you know, bring back excitement was a new stadium, uh, you know, in the, at the RFK site that's accessible to Metro, that that is exciting to young people, you know, not in the suburbs, but that just that it would be a game changer. Yeah. And, you know, sort of matters not who owns the team, but that in itself, it, it would just be, the city would be joyful, I think, yeah. in knowing the city. Um, but then it became as as the optics, the 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 you know defrauding of fans, you know, they just the list is very long of the ways in which politicians got fed up with wanting to be associated with the team. Um, I don't see how Dan Snyder gets a new stadium built. So right. I always thought he's he's either got a you know something had to change right. because. You've got to have a new stadium. You've right. got to have a new stadium. And ideally, you'd have it next year. Right now, to think 2026, 20, 2027, 20, that seems so forever away. That's that's way too long away. Um, how, much, how much a difference do you – because I still think like RFK is going to be – there are still roadblocks there. I think oh, sure. Gonna, and I think they're going to have a hard time going there. But how sure. much of a difference will a new owner make just for this franchise, for the fan base, is it enough to just do that, or do you feel, do you wonder if that so much of it has been killed, the enthusiasm, the joy that it's going to be hard to get that back? Will a new owner be the difference? Oh, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound Pollyanna, but you know, I do think I I, I do think the market will, would be thrilled with the, with a new owner. Um, I, I just feel a pent up demand to em, to em, to be embrace a team, right. you know, and, you know, we've seen fans migrate to the caps, to the nets, to yeah. other places. That's great for the city. Diversified interest is great, but I no, I don't think it's gone forever. I mean, I think the challenges, the NFL is facing some challenges you know, with yeah. you want to keep having a younger fan base. So that to me is a big part of why you want a downtown stadium, an urban stadium with with cool bars and restaurants and yeah. make it a destination and fun things to do. Um, I mean, to me, it would be if 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 I had limitless money, it would be the easiest win of all time. You know, if money were no object, because, you know, the the. It, it, it's they're they're last they're they're last by almost right. every metric right. so you, you'll be embraced you've got it you've got to make the product really great um i'm not discounting that but no i think it's it's uh you can get it all back but half measures won't do you know i think dan selling 20 percent of the team 
uh, and is not going to no. cut it. And I don't think the other owners, even if go, it if it solves a lot of financial problems, right? And the other that, owners, that's not would, the fix here, right? And the other owners would have to approve that, and there's no chance of that too. That would be it. Like, do you think? Like, so let's go back to RFK. We only got about five minutes left, but RFK, I'm so sorry, I talked. Oh, that's too okay. Much. That's okay. Is RFK a viable site, or do you think it's going to be one where, as some people have suggested to me, that you're going to have to try because that's what the fan base wants, but you're going to find that it's going to be very difficult. Of course, How, it's going to be difficult. Of yes. course, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's federal land. It's the National Park Service, you know, controls it. So first, um, the the federal government has to either sell or cede it or give it to D.C. And there's been a bill that Eleanor Holmes Norton has had for years to have that happen. So first of all, irrespective of football, D.C. should control this land. What is the fate of this land? So step right. one is that federal political thing. You need big time lobbyists um, to get that done. And then it would be the DC council, which is a pretty strong willed complex body to then decide, is this going to be used for public housing for parks and green space? Are we going to make a billionaire owner richer? You know, I mean, that's going to be a really fraught discussion, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's certainly doable. There's there's a lot of people who support the idea. There there will be a lot of people who say anything but. But um, I don't know any city that doesn't have a lot of anguish over the building of an NFL stadium or a big stadium. Um, but uh, I, to me, that's the clear first choice. It, it would be. I think that would be the massive win. I just I wonder about if there's so many obstacles and then there's the, lots of obstacles. And then the revenue split with it. Like, you know, who knows? But I think like that's gotta be where you have to try first. You have I would think uh, so. you exhaust all options yeah. for it. And you know, there you go. And you know, the one thing I don't want to do and, and you don't want to do is sit there and try and play the horse race game with whoever's gonna own the team. Cause we don't, you know, there's so much we just don't know in the story as far as where the sale goes, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, there's anyone who is tweeting or blogging or reporting that, you know, they have it all wired. This is, it, whether it's, this is what the bid is worth to the exact dollar figure, or uh, these are the bidders, or here's the timetable. It's gonna happen next week. It's gonna, it has a time. Anybody who has clarity on any of that, I question that. I'm not questioning their sincerity of their right. reporting, but I think they're being fed a line that may not be agenda-free, um, I guess. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know any of that. I mean, last I, thing, last thing for you, Liz, we got two minutes. How does it for you going out? This has been a huge story. I mean, it's a seismic story that you've been covering and been a big part of. What's it like to basically end the career on this story? Oh, gosh. No, I mean, it's, it, you know, I'll be reading as enthusiastically as anyone. And I'll be reading the reporters I trust, which is you and Mark Maskey and Nikki Jabala. Um, and know that, uh, I mean, I live in D.C. I love D.C. And I really respect the fan base of this team and I want good things to happen for them. So 
you know, my interest in the topic rolls right on. It's just, I don't have my mitts in it. And, and that's quite welcome because I, I, I don't think people understand, nor should they, um, how much stress and sleeplessness and constant fretting uh, reporting stories like this are. It's just inescapable. And so that part, I'm happy to to set down. Yes, I can understand that very well. I know and you can. So I, I, I'm smiling because I can feel that freedom from that. So I'm very happy for you. Very proud of you. Should feel very proud of what you've yeah. done in your yeah. career. It's been awesome, and it's been it was a pleasure working alongside you. And even for one month at the Post. Um, well, <laughs> yes, we were colleagues. And it is funny, just real quick, because I got less than a minute here. But that was funny because I came on board. And the first time I saw you in the newsroom, you said, oh, congrats. I'm so happy to have you. I said, well, Liz, I'm actually in here turning in my computer because I'm done. <laughs> so it was it was always good. But Liz, it's great. And I got about 30 <laughs> seconds left. And I just want to tell you how much I appreciated your reporting over the years and was such a big fan. So thank you very much for coming on. Right back at you. Big, big fan of the way you conduct yourself and the standard of your journalism. All class, all correct, all the time. Thank you. Thank Liz. you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Liz for joining me and congrats to her on a great career. And thank you as always for listening. I'll be back on Monday with ESPN's Greg McElroy as we discuss Sam Howell and some of the other quarterbacks in this draft because as Ron Rivera said, they are still looking at all possible scenarios. I know they like Howell. I do believe that he's the guy that's gonna end up starting, but they are. They did have Hendon Hooker. Or they are having Hendon Hooker in for a visit. So what does it mean? What does what would Greg McElroy do? He's watched Howell a lot. He he saw Hendon Hendon Hooker a lot. He's very familiar with all these quarterbacks. So I thought he'd be a good one to bring on and give you some insight, and we can get back to on-field talk. So there you go. I'll talk to you next time.